If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Hello everyone. Today we're going to introduce Sandra Pearson-Adams, also known as SPA, who started working in the horse industry when she was 16, which was, in her words, 1955 and you do the maths. She started off working in hunt stables, breeding and showing yards, and then went on to work in some major equestrian centres. She's trained in Germany, Holland, Sweden and France, and in Samur. And then with her husband, had an equestrian centre in Stropshire. And Sandra, I'm going to let you just tell us a little bit more about what you did within your equestrian centre and move on from there. Okay, I'll hand it over. Okay. Well, at the time that we built our equestrian centre, we were actually just developing an interest in dressage, more from the eventing in England. And dressage was still a fairly dirty word in UK. We were very good at cross country and show jumping and hunting and those things, but not much at dressage. We built an equestrian centre in Shropshire, way out in the wilds, no catchment area for horses or riders at all. And we succeeded. We had the most superb students there from all over the world. We had lovely horses. Richard Davison, who's a fellow of the British Horse Society and been on the British team, dressage team, and still is at the moment. Tim Downs, who's also a fellow of the British Horse Society. In fact, six fellows of the British Horse Society trained with me at Clearbury. And we had international students and horses up to 30 at a time, and it was a very exciting time, very exciting. And now I live in Australia. <laughs> okay. What brought you to Australia? My husband and I split up, and although I continued at the centre, it really had lost its meaning, and neither of my sons, our sons, wanted to go into horses. I had a lot of offers from different parts of the world, and of them all, Australia seemed the best place to go for my sons. They were 15 and 17, and I thought they would have a wonderful future in Australia, and, and so we came here. Okay, that's great news. All right, now, Sandra, you said that you started working in the horse industry just before you were 16. Tell us, though, you've ridden before that. When, how old were you when you started riding? Oh, we didn't have proper riding schools. We had places where you hired horses and went out, and I didn't have any money, so I would go and work in those stables on the chance that I might get to sit on a horse bareback to take it out to the fields at the end of the day. But I kept asking my dad if I could have a horse. I needed a horse. I needed a horse. And Chinese drip eventually. It was funny because we had one of the earliest black and white televisions and it went wrong. And he was lent a better one while ours was being mended. And when the, the mended one came back, dad preferred the newer one he'd been lent. So he gave me the old television set. And it just seemed sensible to me to put an advert in the paper in the exchanges column. 
I have a television set and I want a horse. <laughs> and it just seemed logical to me, Glennis, at the time. For sure. And a reporter turned up and did a story on it. And somebody came up and said, oh, this little girl is called Sandy at home. And I have a horse called Big Sandy. I think I'll do the swap. How old were you at that stage? 14 and a half. Okay. And he taught me a lot. He taught me how to fall off and fall off and fall off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know anything, Glennis. I, my parents gave me a bridle for Christmas to make up for the bits of string I was using. And in those days, bridles were sent all strung up. They, they weren't put together and hung like a bridle. They just keep bits of leather tied together. And I must have spent days experimenting until I finally found the right way to get this so the poor horse he put up with it. Sandra tell us a little bit about your inspirational quote your favorite inspirational quote. Okay well that, you see there's so many inspirational quotes it depends where you are at the time but someone said to me when I was about oh 20 21 and I've always been pushing myself into new things and a little bit further and they said you've just got to learn to hurry slowly and and I know what they mean now but it's taken me a long time to understand that so when you say, and I, yeah when you say you, you know what they they mean I want you to give me an example with a horse or with a person or something that that's happened earlier on that you can tell the horse world so that they then can get a better understanding of the quote hurry slowly well, it is particularly relevant at the moment because we're living in an instant age where no one really has to commit that much time to anything because you can Google it or you can download an app. And there are a lot of coaches around the world encouraging to some extent the quick fix with the horses because it's what people are buying. And there is no such thing. If you look at pianists and serious dancers, serious sports people of any any interest, there is a lot of foundation repeat training that has to go on. Now in our world, we also have an animal that needs a foundation of training. And so for me, it's important that we get the message out to people, learn the techniques, learn the skills, study the theory, develop your position and your confidence, then transfer that to an untrained horse. But you shouldn't be trying to teach yourself and a young horse all in a hurry and going out and competing on it. So hurry slowly. All right. So learning learning the foundations on a horse who's already been there, done that, and then transferring your skills then back to another young horse as well. Yes, but also recognize that just because the horse has been there, done that, doesn't make him a schoolmaster. Mm -hmm. You still need very good teaching. We're into training coaches a lot in this country, but not teachers. Okay. And ideally, you have to have good practice, practice, practice on horses that will put up with that, being given feedback by teachers who understand where we're wanting to go. All right, Sandra, your area of expertise. I know it's changed a lot since you first started and first started within the horse industry, but what would you say your main area of expertise is now? The detail has changed, Benis, but the principle has never changed. It's the serious foundation and ongoing training of the horse and 
of the rider. Eventually they come together, but they, they are separate entities to start with. You said that's always been the case from when you first got your first horse or what gave you that foundation? What was it? Well, I think instinct has always been there, but it never really gelled. My first job in hunt stables, which was for two seasons, I, I didn't even know that there was a different diagonal in trot. I didn't know there was a different lead in canter. All I knew was getting horses fit and galloping cross country. Sure. And so when I started with Otikol, with Yoshi, learning the high school riding on Lipizzaner stallions, it was a complete, absolute shock to my system. And from that day on, I've been completely involved in watching football, understanding mechanics, understanding the physique, understanding the psychology of the horse. And I'm always learning. I find it so interesting and completely relevant to, to the training. Okay. And how old were you then? Um, 19. So that was pretty much a, a, um, a standout time for you to learn all of that and just be introduced to, I suppose, a change of thought patterns. Oh, crazy. And if I, if I look at the history now of myself, I think, well, that's mad. Because from two seasons of hunt work, where literally, I mean, it was very, very good with regard to fitting and caring for horses, looking after them immaculately, mm-hmm. but not knowing the mechanics of it at all. And I joined Yoshi in the September, and that was the first exposure I had to riding the Lipizzaner Stallions. And by December the 25th of the same year, I was performing in front of 20,000 people in Berlin. Wow on a Lipizzan stallion being ridden with two other people. So we were doing a pas de trois. Mm-hmm. And that had been a very, very, very concentrated learning period with quite a few traumas, physical and mental, and being coached in two languages that I didn't speak <laughs> by a man who used his whip on the me rather than the horse to get the message through. So hurry slowly thing has meant quite a lot to me since then. (laughs) Sandra, since you've come to Australia, the safety standards around horses, awareness, respect for the horse has increased tremendously. I'd like to talk to you about the early days in Australia and maybe give one or two stories where I, I know you were horrified at the safety standards here. So can you talk a little bit about some of the safety standards that you think are very important that should be adhered to people around the world? Maybe some examples of the way things were when you first came to Australia? Well, a couple of examples. I ran a lovely, lovely workshop in Stanthorpe, and there were beautiful people, and there were some very, very nice, one particularly very nice four-year-old warm blood. And this is in 86, 85, 86, 1985-86. And it was a pretty unusual to see a really nice imported four-year-old warm blood at that time. And really lovely lady rider on it, but she hadn't had much experience. And she had arrived for her lesson a little early, and the next thing is she's off the horse and I'm working with someone else in an outdoor arena and I glanced around and saw this very nice four-year-old tied to a barbed wire fence by its double bridle reins 
with the stirrups down and nobody near it. And I thought, hmm, that's different. And, and nothing happened. But I was absolutely horrified because it's not something you'd expect to see. So that was one. Another one was the first NCAS level one exam that I was invited to be at. And I think it was the first one we'd run. We ran it as a pony club outside Brisbane. And everybody arrived with their own horses. This is when there was a final assessment. And the people who were running the exam arrived. And around 10 o'clock, someone said, I suppose we should put an arena up. And some ropes were put around posts. And at the end of the day, none of these horses had ever worked in groups before. So it was a bit chaotic. People were lunging each other on four-year-old off-the-track thoroughbreds that had never been lunged with a rider on. So it was fairly horrific. Lunging in a round yard or an I was, No, no, this was an open pony club paddock. <laughs> okay. This was way before pony clubs had arenas or anything like that. It was just a big, big area. Mm -hmm. And it was very scary. And I mentioned this and I said, you know, we, we, and I was more or less told, you know, we're Aussies. <laughs> and there wasn't much concern at that time. Mm -hmm. And in all fairness, nothing happened that day. You know, people were very competent. Yep. But it wasn't what I was used to. All right. I want you to think about a moment that someone or a horse taught you to change your ways and your training methods. I mean, think back to when you were quite young and your training methods now. What changes? Who's influenced those training methods? Everyone I teach, I get something from. Every lesson I give, I feel I've gained something as well. Every horse I ride has given me something. But, and there have been no real light bulb moments particularly. I have to say that for someone like me that always possibly arrogant, certainly appeared confident, mm -hmm. felt that I could ride pretty well anything, uh, horses like my Alcateki Stallion, and any Arab I've worked with, they have taught me an enormous amount because you can't bully them, you can't push them, you have to learn to negotiate, and you have to ride with your brain before you're brawn. And, and they have been a huge influence. I have always said to students, if I say something that upsets you or worries you or ask you to do something, please tell me. Very rarely do they. But when students have and they've said, oh, Spa, shut up for a minute, um, <laughs> that's been very healthy for me too, and I have. I don't believe that I've had one moment, but I do think that every single lesson, every single horse, like today I've ridden two horses and I came in and watched the video of me riding the one and I thought, yep. That's what I need to do now. So, yeah, I'm nearly 80 and I'm still learning and it's still exciting. <laughs> That's great. Wonderful. All right. I want you to think about the proudest moment in your, in your coaching. What's been the proudest moment that you've had? I mean, you've had quite a few of your riders um, become fellows of the British Horse Society. Is there some moment there? Is it that the moment or is there another one that stands out about your proudest moment? Yes. Very hard, isn't it? This is silly because, you know, there have been some marvellous moments. But we had a little lad at Clearbury who came with his pony and he obviously was the youngest in his family and had got all the old clothes that were falling off him because he was tiny and they were bigger. Mm -hmm. And he had a lisp. His name was Peter Wright. 
And he said, my name's Peter White, my pony's called Warrior, and I can't sound my R's, so what? <laughs> and at the end of the week with us, and we, we, we pushed him a bit, mm-hmm. he came up to me and he said, I have never learned so much anywhere and I don't care anymore that I can't say my R's, so I'm not going to worry anymore. <laughs> I felt really thrilled that we're, how we handled him and helped him. Mm-hmm. So isn't that silly? It still stays with me. I can still see his little face that day. Yep, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. All right, now what about your future? What does that hold? I still don't think I've given enough back to the horse world, and I want to. I don't know how to give more or differently. But I really believe there's so many young people coming up now and so many intelligent people and honest people. I think it'll sort itself out without me. But what I'd like to do, I'd love to write more. I don't want to write a how-to book. I would like to do a mixture of writing and video so that I can demonstrate some of what I'm talking about as well as discuss the philosophy of it. Yep. I can't see that happening at the moment because I'm overdone with horses here and working on my own. Okay. So it's it, it's tough. I'd like to do more water skiing and I'd really love to do barefoot skiing, but I don't think that'll happen. Okay. Okay. What about there's one thing that you'd like to tell the people, the horse world, you know, one message or one lesson or something that you'd like to make it as a takeaway. So someone listening to the podcast today, what's a lesson that they can have? Be true to yourself. Don't be swayed by bombast or commercialism or someone right in your face pushing you in a direction. And be very comfortable at saying, I need to stop and consider. I'm not going to be pushed into a decision right this minute. So that's one side of it. Mm -hmm. And the other side of it is, when you really know yourself and you you have your deep beliefs, then be prepared to respond instinctively and immediately. Mm -hmm. And those appear to be totally in contradiction. So where do you go from there? I don't know. But be absolutely true to yourself and don't be swayed by stronger people. Be prepared to expand and look at your own beliefs and challenge them and rethink what you believe, but make it what you believe and prove it to yourself. Keep an open mind, so don't be tunnel visioned, but but play devil's advocate with yourself. Okay, okay. Now, earlier on, you were talking about a book. I didn't ask you about a book that you would recommend for people to read. That's very hard because everybody's at a different point of their lives and their training. Mm-hmm. And what means something to one doesn't to another. I, Jeffrey Hatton, who was a colleague and friend of mine many years ago, said, you cannot learn from a book the best value you get from a book is when, as you are reading it, you could have written it or you would not have written it. However, I think that anyone who has a serious commitment, and we're talking about the masters here who may not have known the physiological mechanics of the horse as well as we do now, but they certainly knew the training plans. I think they're very good to read. I think that, um, 
the German guy who wrote Tug of War get, what's his name? That's worth reading. Okay. I think Charles Cottus, who was senior writer of the Spanish school, all of his videos and his writings are excellent. But, you know, every time you read anything, read it with an open mind and then debate it with yourself. And even if you come up thinking, I don't believe any of it or I don't agree with it, you have again played devil's advocate and you've reconsidered your own beliefs. And that's, I think you need to do that all through your life with everything, not just horses. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, what about if people need to contact you? So if they've got any questions, can they do it through the podcast, through the notes at the bottom of the podcast, or would you like them to contact you directly? I don't mind which it is as long as you guide me a podcast, but email I always respond to. Telephone, it's difficult because I'm sometimes attached to a horse and I don't have my mobile on. Okay, so if you could say your email address, that would be wonderful. Sandra, S-A-N-D-R-A, pronounced Sandra over here. <laughs> Sandra at Pearson Adams, P-E-A-R-S-O-N-A-D-A-M-S, com, So it's without the hyphen. All right. Thank you very much. And if they have a lot of Q&A that they send to us, can we get you back for another podcast episode? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. We'll talk to you soon then. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 